This is Sounding Board Parenting. Creating healthier human connections through the commonality of parenting. Exploring the world of parenting with high-performing mums and dads from a range of backgrounds, industries and family dynamics. He said, the whole world looks different. You can do it your way. My life has been fundamentally altered by their existence. I gotta tell you, kids don't stop learning. That is how I changed the story. Babies are instant community generators. My growth curve just like shot up after I had a kid. I wasn't planning any of it. Let's jump in. In three, two, one. Welcome back to the Sandy Board Parenting Podcast. In this week's episode, we have Carolee Katzenbarnas, who is an author. She's a stepmom. She is doing so many awesome things in this world. And, and I'm really excited to have this chat with you, Carolee. Welcome onto the Sandy Board Parenting Podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Sean. And hello and hello to all your listeners. I'm delighted to be here. This is this is going to be really cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to... Um, yeah, throwing a, a few curveballs maybe at you from a questions <laughs> point of view and, and then hopefully um, hopefully our listeners get some value out of it too, which, which I'm sure they will. And, and basically, uh, to, to kick any episode off, we always like uh, our podcast guests just to be able to introduce themselves and just tell us a bit about yourself and, and the names and ages of your children too. Sure. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Carolee Katzenbarnas. I'm 47 years old. I'm a mum of three children, little boy who's 12, little girl who's 11, and another little girl who is eight. But I'm also a stepmother to my stepchildren who are both age 26 and 25, a boy and a girl. And I've been their stepmom since they were 11 and 12. So quite ironic, the same age that my eldest two kids are now, I became a parent, a step-parent. Well, what's, well, what's, what's that journey been like? If you were to just sum it up with, with one word, what, what would that, that word be, do you think, in, in your parenting journey so far? Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I like that. I like that. How, how do you think parenting has, has changed your life, Carolee? Um, it, it sounds very cliche to say, but until you've actually been in a parenting role, whether you're, whether you've adopted children, whether you're fostering, whether you're having your own children, whether you're um, looking after someone's children, until you've actually experienced that parenting role hands-on, you really realise that your life pre any connection with any kids, you really don't know what you were talking about. Um, it's funny, I, I look back to when I was single in my 20s and early 30s and you sort of think to yourself, oh, it's, it's lovely. So, once you're a parent, it's a whole different ball game. And it, it's interesting for me, I became a step parent before I actually became a parent. So when I met my husband and then married him, um, yeah, I, I became a step parent. And then we had our own children a couple of years later. So, so as, as you mentioned, sort of becoming a step parent before becoming a, a parent, what, what was that dynamic like initially? Because uh, to be honest, the, the people that we've, we've had on so far in the podcast, it's, don't quote me, but I feel like it's always been the other way. Like, I'm really curious to know what, yeah. that, what that was like for you. Look, it, it was interesting and you're quite right. Um, it, it's funny. I have a, a lot of friends in America. I'm involved in a lot of step parenting groups and things. And a lot of people say, 
normally someone is a parent already and then they become a step parent. In my case, it, it was and it is quite unusual. It's interesting because I, as you know, I, I launched a book this year, we'll talk about it later, but the idea for the book came to me instantly because I found 15 years ago in Australia, and it's the reason why I launched the book this year, little did I know COVID-19 would, would hit, but why I launched the book was I couldn't find any resources or help that I needed. And I literally just picked up tips and advice from good old Dr. Phil and Oprah and bits and pieces from here and there. I say to people that um, in a previous life, I was a television and radio journalist and newspaper journalist. I still do bits and pieces of that, but I was full-time, complete career person, X, Y, Z. But I found that the only resources that really were available in Australia were, were very statistical things like how many people get divorced and how many blended families there are and how long it takes to get this. It didn't actually give any practical tips, guidance, strategies or advice to someone that was actually in the dynamics. So if there was an ex-wife or an ex-husband or an ex-partner and life was getting very difficult and you were encountering difficulties with stepchildren, just so that you could know that it wasn't you, that there are other dynamics at play. And I mean this in the nicest sense of the word, but no one lives in an ideal world. And it's very unusual that when and let, let me be very clear on your podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm married, but whether you're in a long-term de facto relationship or same-sex couple or whatever it might be, when I talk about a married couple, I'm just talking because it's easy for me to relate to, but I'm, I'm inclusive with everybody. When two people divorce, it's very unusual that both of them will meet somebody else immediately or at the same time and repartner and do it. Someone will always meet somebody else first. And we're all human beings. We all have those feelings of jealousy and this, that, and what have you. And people often look back later and think, gee, why did I act in that way? But very few people take responsibility for how they've behaved. And what can often happen is that, say, for example, the man has moved on and he's met another woman and his ex-wife is still single she'll get very jealous that there's another woman in the picture that's having contact with her kids, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess that's a natural human thing, but it's being able to rise above it and, and really keep those emotions in check and realize that if your ex-husband has met another woman, whether he's married her or they're in a long-term relationship and she's met your children, you have to really rise above and realize that your children are the most important thing and whatever has gone on with you and your ex-husband is between you two. The third person in the picture might be the stepmom. It's really nothing to do with them and all they want to do is make a positive difference in the lives of your child or children. They don't want to get involved in the games. The reason why your relationship or your union broke up is between you two. However, the behavior so often of an ex just it's like an oil slick it just will go over everything and people lose sight of objectivity and normality um i don't need to go into some of the past stuff with what happened to us but i've written it all in the book because 
I find that it's the same with anything in life. If, if you find someone and you say, oh, yes, that happened to me, or, oh, I felt like that too, instantly you think to yourself, oh, well, it's not me. It's actually the situation. And it's something that has affected a lot of people. And the feedback that I've had from my book is it really lifts the lid on a lot of things that people who are currently step-parents or they're about to be step-parents really want tackled or answered. So, you know, I sort of talk about, you know, navigating your own sometimes conflicting emotions, um, insights into perhaps some of the more challenging step-parenting events, like when there's a wedding or a baptism or a naming ceremony or something, um, and also tips on how to engage and manage the ex because like it or not, your ex-partner's new partner is actually in their life and will be in the life of your children and that there's a road and a path that, that you can follow and, and there's another one as well. Keen to, to definitely circle back to that. And, yeah, please. Yeah. And, and ask me anything. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, to dive into to some of those different areas that, that you touch on in the book. And, and, and before we do that, though, I'd, I'd love to know, so you mentioned becoming a step-parent before becoming a parent, but, but tell me about the, the story behind the moment you found out you were going to be a mum for the first time, that, that you were going to be a parent for the first time. Oh, look, it was like, wow. Oh my goodness. I mean, I was 35 years old and really I was someone that I had a lot of friends that always wanted to get married and have children. But for me, it was, you know, well, I've got to meet the right person. And I was very much, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And even when I met my husband and I knew that he had two other children and he did want more children, I'd already said to him, if children don't happen for us, that's absolutely fine. And I think that, you know, once you're 35 years old, I mean, everybody is different every five years, but it wasn't, it it was just, if it happened, it happened. If it didn't, it didn't. And I must admit, I thought, wow, my goodness, because deep down, I love kids. I always have done, but I was a full-time career person and, you know, I couldn't quite see how having a child would sort of fit into one's life. But as, as people say, you just, you do it. I mean, otherwise everybody would be waiting till they were 90 to try and have a child because you, you never have enough money to have a child and you never think that things are organized enough to do it. But yeah, the feeling to, um, to have a child was, wow, this is just amazing. Just really amazing. And I was incredibly lucky. And I think in your circle of friends, you've always got a good smattering of people that are either single or they've had children or whatever. And you know, I had a lot of friends that weren't able to have children. And as I said, I was 35. So there was no guarantee at all. And I just felt very privileged, very blessed. And I felt very humble as well. I, I wasn't someone that rang up straight away and said, oh, I'm having a baby. We actually waited till I was four months pregnant because um, we nearly had a miscarriage at 12 weeks. And I just wanted to wait that little bit longer. Whereas I've had a lot of friends ring me and tell me that they're five weeks pregnant and six weeks pregnant and everyone sort of faces it differently. But look, I was delighted and I felt really lucky because as we know, it doesn't always happen for everybody. And I was incredibly fortunate. 
thank you for yeah thank you for being so honest and and sharing that that with me and and the listeners as well and and i personally definitely resonate with what you were talking about around uh if you wait for the right moment that moment might never come and it was it's funny my my wife uh, jess and i were, were talking about this the the other day in that i feel like there's going to be things in parenting very similar to a job promotion that you're going to face whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever it might be, there's going to be challenges in that journey whenever you take that on. Uh, and, and I think that, yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's being able to, I suppose, adapt to, to whatever's happening in the present moment as well and, and just to be able to make, make the best of it, I suppose, as well. Yeah. I guess it's like, and it's funny, and you can probably relate, but, you know, when you have your first child, it, it is overwhelming. I remember a, a friend of mine said, listen, I'm going to give you the best piece of advice ever. You'll hate me, but you'll actually really listen. And she said the first 12 weeks are the worst. She said it doesn't matter how much of a control freak or how responsible or reliable you are, you won't know what has hit you in those first 12 weeks. It's unlike anything else, whether you're the mum or whether you're the dad. And she was spot on. And it's funny. Everyone, you know, when you're in that thing, when you've got the newborn and things, you're thinking, oh, my goodness. And and you can't comprehend what they'll be like when they're one-year-old, two-year-old or three-years-old. And it's like anything. I mean, when I go out with the kids now and I see someone with a little newborn or six weeks and we're all guilty of this, you think, oh, that's so easy, so easy. But you forget it's not easy. And I'll share with you a little story. So even though though I'm from um, Western Australia, I lived in Melbourne and Sydney for 12 years and my mum was back here and she unfortunately had breast cancer. So when our son was born, she wasn't able to be over. So I waited till, you know, the three month and then came over to see her. And I remember the flight from Melbourne to um, Perth and Bubby was bottle fed because I had a very bad thyroid at that time. I went on and had thyroid, a cancerous thyroid, but that's another story in itself. And so we'd made the decision to bottle feed because the um, information at that time, it, no one knew whether it was safe or not to breastfeed if you're taking thyroxin and things. Anyway, so this is going back 12 years. And I remember thinking, okay, it's a four hour plane flight. Now, my logical brain thought the bubby's only having five or six bottles of formula a day. But I was thinking, what if the plane just keep circling. What if it can't land in Perth? And I remember pre-mixing, you know, like six bottles of formula on the, on the thing in the baby bag, loads of nappies, loads of things. And I just thought, oh my goodness, you know, the baby will starve to death. And what if it's gone there? Hilarious. I mean, he slept most of the way. And so I ended up landing in Perth with, and, and I'm not a wasteful person, but I mean, the, the extra five bottles of formula that were mixed just had to be chucked out because there's a limit to what you can do. But I look back now and I giggle because I've got a reference point. And, you know, when flying begins again, I've flown quite a bit in the last few years. I always offer on a flight. If I can see a mum, I always, and they see that you've got kids, I say, listen, if you want me to hold bubble while you I'm more than happy to. And you just see that smile on a parent's face that, wow, they've been through it. Because you look back at some of the things you do when you have a baby, whether it's going on a plane or going somewhere, and you think, 
how did I ever do it? But we all, we all sort of do get through that, don't we? And um, as I said, I, I look at someone with a newborn now and I go, oh, what are they worried about? But we all forget that. And I guess it's because like the momentum of the parenting journey, we're on that journey, we're on that juggernaut, we're on that treadmill in the nicest sense of the word. And we don't remember it all because we're living in the moment. And as I said, my little boy just turned 12 and there are some photos that are in our house and I don't even remember them being taken. And there are others like it was yesterday. And I look and I think, oh, you're 12. In another, oh, another four years time, you might be getting a learner's permit. And it's like, where has that time gone? However, I'm very practical. There are days where it is very tiresome to be a mum or a dad. It can be incredibly overwhelming. Um, and I'm not talking postnatal depression. I'm just talking about the routine and this and that. So it is an interesting journey, but it is funny because I remember saying to friends, oh, does it ever get any better? What happens? When do they start talking and doing things? And then you do it and then you get nostalgic for that other era that you've actually gone through, don't you? You, you sort of, you worry that you've missed, but you really haven't. You mentioned the... Uh it is tiring, it can be quite overwhelming. And just when you were saying that, I was thinking, we talk about like, I feel like a lot of the times in society, we talk about separating career from being a parent. But I feel yeah. like there is no, as soon as you become a parent, even if you are interested in, in being able to have that career, which I think is epic and, and it's something that both Jess and I love that at the end of the day, we're, we're we're living, we're parenting, we're working in a time where that is more encouraged than ever before, which I think is amazing. But I feel like as soon as you become a parent, it becomes a part of your career. Like that, that's, that's now a part of my career. I'm, I'm a father. Uh, I'm, I'm also working in projects of this kind and this kind and this kind, but it's never, um, I don't think it's separate. Like what, what are your thoughts around that? And, and what's been your experiences being or becoming a parent and being quite career focused beforehand and then how did how did that play out in, in the initial phase and, and what's that been like uh, over that journey as well for you? Look I, I think at the end of the day um, I knew that even if I met the right person I, I wasn't going to be someone that would have had my kids in my 20s. Um, the career and you have to imagine I'm, I'm 47 nearly 48. Career back then with media it, it has changed a lot but it's like an all or nothing thing. As I said, I started in um, Meriden and Northern in newspapers in Western Australia. I then went to Perth in radio and, um, and print, but then there was not an opportunity to do TV. I did a little bit of TV Saturday morning in Perth, but my opportunity came in Wollongong, New South Wales with Win TV. So I did police and court reporting. And then after being there for just over a year, I got my big break with Channel 7 in Melbourne I was there for five years and I then ran the Bureau for SBS World News Australia for a couple of years in Federation Square. And I worked with a lot of dynamic men and women and I saw the choices that one has to do. And media is one of those careers that there are only a few sort of, you know, yarn events up the top of the tree where you can sort of dictate your own times. But it is very difficult. It's very difficult to be a full-time television courts police reporter reporting on sieges and stuff and also be a parent because it, it's quite unpredictable there's a lot of work to do in my case 
as I said, I was 35 when we had our son. I had worked, you know, since I was 17, 18, and I'd sort of done all that. One always wants to go right to the top of the tree to 60 minutes or whatever. But I'd done that. And I think I was able to be very satisfied and make that choice that I was happy to be a stay-at-home mum. It really wasn't possible for me to remain full-time. Part-time really did not exist back then. No matter what anyone says, very, very difficult in TV to do that. So I sort of thought I'm more than just being a face and a voice on the screen and on radio. I'll devote my time to a little boy. I have a very unique family background. I'm an only child. My mum had me at the age of 40. My dad was 54. There was no IVF back then. My dad was also an only child and his dad died when he was 11. I essentially grew up with no grandparents, no aunts, no uncles and no cousins. So for me, and I was very lucky, I was very fit and healthy, I wanted to go for our number two baby straight away. And so we did because rightly or wrongly, um, you don't really meet many only children that only want one child, but you often meet people that have got two or three siblings that say, yes, I'm just going to have one. And I sort of equate it to people growing up in the country, want to move to the city and people in the city want to move to the country. And I sort of knew that, yeah, well, and also I was 35 and one thing is that, yep, there are fantastic advances in reproductive technology and all things like this, but your biological age is your biological age. You can enhance your fertility by having eaten correctly and exercised and being a correct weight and, you know, doing, doing all those things, taking the vitamins. But at the end of the day, it's, it's luck as to whether you're able to fall pregnant. I was very lucky. So we had done, um, our children are, are 12 months apart. So 12 months and a couple of days. So when our little boy was three months old, I was already pregnant with our daughter and very lucky to be able to do that. But getting back to what you said, I then, you know, and, and childcare stuff really, really wasn't an option um, for our situation. We were paying, or my husband was paying a lot of child support for his eldest two, and that is rightly so, because child support has to be paid. But there isn't that disposable income to be able to do, you know, daycare or this or that or what have you. And then we got transferred um, back to Perth. And then you you just cut your suit according to your cloth. So it was like a relocation move as well. And there was just lots and lots of stuff going on. And so I really, it's quite funny. I did a little bit of radio when the kids were um, four and three. And then I did quite a bit of media training for a company that I work for. And I did bits and pieces of media Um, at times where I could still be at home with the kids. So I did a lot of night, I still do a lot of nighttime stuff for Sky and on radio. Now that the kids are at school, I do daytime radio as well. I write a column for um, a couple of publications and I can do that sort of from home. But it's funny, I have been offered full-time jobs back in Perth reporting, but, you know, (laughs) the hours just don't match up. If you work in a newsroom and your roster is eight until four, your roster is really seven until six or seven until seven. It's almost undoable. There's very little childcare. You need a really strong family support network. And unfortunately, my mum is is nearly 90 now, so uh, and she's great. But 
you have to be um, mature enough to say, you know what, sometimes being offered the job is recognition enough and you have to be honest to say, look, I can't do it. I'm not superwoman. And I think that women suffer that guilt all the time. And it's not that you, it's not that you haven't got the intelligence and the ability to do it, but logistically, sometimes you just can't do it. I have a lot of friends that did go back to full-time career, did use nannies, did use the childcare, and that's the choice that they've made, and that's great. But then they say everything gets outsourced. So picking up the kids from after school to take them to a swimming lesson or a gymnastics or a karate or whatever, that's outsourced. That's While they're working in the city, that's a nanny doing it. And then they weigh up and think, gee, this is costing a lot of money. And, 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 and you're always sort of feeling, feeling that pull. Um, I don't think there's any one right, right answer and not one wrong answer. But I do say to a lot of people, yet yeah, you do have to think ahead and you have to weigh, really weigh up those, those choices that you're making as to what may or may not happen down the track. There are some careers, you know, such as law and things where they need to keep up their professional qualifications as well. You can't take a 10-year break in law and then go back. And that, that's really difficult. And I think, you know, probably your wife would agree. Um, I'm not sure how old she is, but someone from my generation, you were told that, yes, you can do it all and you can have it all. Well, I have a phrase that I use to a lot of people and I say, you can do it all and you can have it all, but not all at the same time because something gives whether it's your mental health, whether it's your family falling apart, whether it's your relationship falling apart. And there's no shame in just saying, you know what? No, I can't do that anymore. I'm either older or my workplace has sort of changed. And you know what? Everybody has got a story about being got rid of on maternity leave and being got rid of. Everyone's got one of those stories, but you don't often hear them. You don't often hear them because a lot of people think, well, what's the point? in chasing legal action? Do I really want to work for this organisation that's done this to me or that's done this to a friend of mine or whatever? You just have to sort of weigh it up and, and work out what you're comfortable with. Being able to, to get to that point where, where you're prepared to, to start saying no to things. It's difficult. It's, yeah. it's not easy. It's not, it's not easy at all. Um, I make no bones about it. Would I love to be working full time and reporting and doing all that stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. But I see my children now as little beings and it doesn't matter what mum or dad do. They see you as mum and dad. And it's quite funny because I say to a lot of people listening to you, listen to people that have been down the path before. Um, I've got a lot of people, so my children, I said, are 12, 11, and 8. Most of my friends' kids are 10 years older than that. You know, they're almost the age of my stepkids because I had a lot of friends that got married young. And they all say things that they would do differently. And if you're honest and you say why, they'll tell you why. And it's quite funny. I always remember a friend of mine saying, you know, I went back to work full-time when my kid was at high school and this and that. And they said, it's quite ironic. Your kids almost need you more at high school than they do when they're little. You think they need you more when they're little, and they do, but it's at high school. It's being able to have those chats with them 
you know, subconsciously in the car about drugs or smoking or friend networks or internet safety or cyber safety or reinforcing something that the school has done. Because as you said, Sean, you've got your little three-year-old. Trust me, I'm having the drugs talks with my kids, with my eight-year-old and 11-year-old and 12-year-old because they're having those talks at school. And schools can only do so much. They rely on the family structure to try and back them up and do things. And I think to myself, my goodness, I had none of this when I was their age. And it is important to just to just do that and, and just have those incidental chats with them because you don't sort of say to a child, oh, right, sit down, we're going to do it. You just throw it into conversation as to whatever it might be. Um, and it's not easy. It's not easy for any parent out there. Yeah, just what you were saying on, on having to have those, those conversations uh, at this point, it might surprise a few people out there, especially depending on, on, on where they may be in, in their parenting journey. For example, for, for someone like myself, Oscar is, is three years old. It's, I definitely see your point on like looking ahead and, and that is already sort of playing a part with, with, with us. However, that still surprises me straight away is, is the thought of having that conversation in five years' time, in six years' time, seven years' time. Uh, however, there's the other side to me that can see how, how much more accessible uh, information is these days and not just the information that, that we'd like our, our kids to be exposed to or seen. It's, it's at the end of the day, um, all sorts of... All yeah, sorts so so let me say, like, you've got a beautiful little boy. And so, as I said, my son's just turned 12. He's a lovely little boy as well. Yeah. But I remember when he was seven and he just loved motorbikes, absolutely loved them. And you're in Perth, I'm in Perth, and, you know, going down some of the main things, he loved them. And he said, I want to get a motorbike. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness me, being a former police and court reporter, you hear all the stories and things like this. And I thought, hmm is mad on this so it's quite funny we travel one certain road and there's always a lot of motorbikes up there and there was a guy wearing thongs bare arms and really not wearing any protective gear and so we pulled up and I said to my little boy there's actually nothing wrong with motorbikes what the problem is is it's the riders and the drivers of other cars that don't see them and I said, now, look at that man over there. He's not very smart, is he? Look at his bare legs. Look at his thongs. If he comes off his bike, what's going to happen? And, of course, my little boy and my little girl piped up and went, oh, his skin's going to get... And I said, yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you ever want to get a motorbike, you've got to start thinking that in 43-degree heat in Perth, you need to be properly attired. You need to be properly dressed. So what do you think you need? And so he'd say, oh, a helmet and a leather jacket and all that. So oh, you'd get pretty hot, wouldn't you? Anyway, this is hilarious. So a few weeks later, because I always believe the universe is it, we were at this very long changing set of lights. And there was a guy Nick, Nick, on the bike, fully leathered, and it was hot, right? And of course, looking, and it has a lovely motorbike and this and that. And my window is down. And he looked and he smiled and he put his thumb up. And look, I know nowadays I'm not saying anybody's strike up a conversation, but you can sort of, we've still got that thing where you look at someone and you can sort of work out, are they crazy or are they not? And he looked across and I said, my little boy wants to be like you one day. 
and no joke, he put up his visor and he said, if you ever want to ride a motorbike, he said, it's very hot. He said, you need this, 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 and this, and this because of X, Y, Z, you know, otherwise you'll get, you know, cut up by the bitumen. And I said to the guy, thank you. That's great. Anyway. And so my little boy's nodding, you know, this bike and, you know, the guy revved it. It was some kind of a Harley thing or something I wouldn't know. Now, this is no joke. This is why young kids are impressionable. So he was seven at this stage. About a month later, we saw a bike and my little boy said, you know what? I've decided I don't want a motorbike anymore. And I said, why? And he said, well, quite easy. He said, it's too hot in Perth. And he said, mum, we do these rides. We do these drives to school every single day. We see all these bikes weaving in and out. And he said, and they're nearly knocked over by the cars because the cars don't see them. And if he comes off his bike, where's the protection? Even if you're in the leather jacket, you could break your arm, break your leg. He said, now, you know what? I'm just always going to look at motorbikes. And he said, I actually don't want one. And it's really funny. So that was when he was seven. Now he's 12. We still see motorbikes. And I say, any more thoughts about a motorbike? And he goes, nah, he says, not at all. He said, I love them, not going to do it. Now, I guess I'm sort of sharing this bits and pieces because I'm not saying at Oscar, he's three, you start talking to him about it. But it's that way where you can introduce little conversations like that because it's no point saying to a child, no, you can never have this. You've got to almost guide them to be able to make that choice and put those building blocks in the way for them to sort of make the right choice. And please, please, no offense to anybody. I do like motorbikes and things, but you know, I've had a lot of friends that have motorbikes that would be mortified if their children ended up getting a motorbike. And most motorbike riders, especially in Perth where people can't merge and our drivers are not very mindful of people on motorbikes or bikes, they would agree that it is really dangerous. So little conversations like that you have with, with your children you just sort of start from a young age, don't you? And whatever it might be. Yeah, just what, what you were saying there around not just saying no or being so explicit or direct, that, that was something that I've already, I've just written down. What <laughs> right. you said was, was asking uh, a couple of those open questions and just getting their input, no matter what age that they're in. I think um, the more people I talk to, the more time we spend with Oscar as well, obviously that the more value I see in, in asking questions and, and the art of questioning, because there, there is a, uh, an art to what I think in terms of just practicing. And, and it's so much easier sometimes to go down the route of no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. However, that potentially takes out the, the opportunity for them and to develop that sense of self, their, their own opinions as well, which are, I feel like they become so vital later in life as well. Yeah. And the other thing is you've got to talk to your kids from when they're little, you know, I, I, I'm all for computers and stuff. Kids need to do computers at school. They need it, but you know what? They don't need to be on swiping on a weekend. Yeah. What, what, putting are, them there your, because... what are your opinions of, of kids using technology oh. and just in your experience, but also what you're seeing broadly, especially with the book now as well. And just, okay. So yeah. I try, look, before I became a journalist, I trained as a teacher. Time for a short reflection break. This is an opportunity for you to stop, take a breath and reflect on your past week as a parent. If you have a pen and paper near you, that's great. If not, Simply use your phone or laptop. I want you to write down three things. First, write down one moment in the past week that you were proud of yourself as a parent. 
Second, write down one area of your parenting that you would like to improve for the next week. Third, write down one moment from the past week where your child or children have made you smile. Be kind to yourself and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before I became a journalist, I trained as a teacher um, 30 years ago, and I currently do lecturing and tutoring at one of the unis um, in, in Perth. Look, my view always was it's very important for kids to know about this technology. Any parent that says, I don't want my kids to know computers and stuff, you, you really have to wake up and realise that this is part of the world that they live in. However, hand on the heart, my kids do not play computer games. They don't have a Nintendo. They don't have a mobile phone. They don't swipe on the iPad or anything. They use their computers at school and at home, they're doing Lego. They're climbing trees. They're riding bikes, sport, 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 sport. Now, I don't want to criticise any other parents. Parenting is an incredible, difficult journey. But what I will say, and I leave this with people just to think about, the Bill Gates and the, um, you know, the, the Silicon Valley executives, the Steve Jobses when he was alive of the world, they invented the iPhone, the iPad, they invented Microsoft, all that stuff. They're the same vintage as me. They grew up with books, puzzles, sport, drawing, colouring, all that type of stuff. They didn't grow up with that technology. You've got to let your brain develop. And I've got to say to you, I think it's one of the saddest things in the world, seeing a child in a shopping trolley with an iPad in front of them, a mum or dad doing the shopping off the shelves. Talk to your child. These are the apples. These are the oranges. Look, this is a box of whatever it is. Talk to the child. Because what I will tell you quite seriously that I've found from a lot of friends that have, and look, trust me, I mean, we had two kids in, in, in two years and then we had another one and I went through a cancer thing and stuff like this. Yes, screen time, you have to minimise it or whatever it is. It's not going to kill them. But you've got to choose your path carefully. If your child has been used to swiping on the iPad, playing with a mobile phone, doing the Nintendo, playing Call of Duty when they're young, when they're suddenly 12 or 13 and you get the talk at school to monitor their screen time, of course you're going to get pushback because they've been doing it for a decade because you've let them. Unfortunately, you need to really do the hard thing and go through the endless questioning and do this. And yes, you would love to get half an hour just to yourself and sit them in front of the TV or give them the iPad and let them swipe. You're going to pay for it years down the track. And you'll think, oh, just this time. Oh, just this time. But you know what? It'll soon become part of their, their routine and their world. And I'm not talking about when, you know, chiropractors and um, what's the word, um, uh, physiotherapists say, oh, you know, they've got funny thumbs or they've got a stoopy back or their, their posture isn't good. Um, we're told by experts what to do. But you know what? You should have the intelligence up there. You know what the right thing is to do. I mean, we don't have DVD players in our cars. You need your child to say, are we there yet? Oh, look out the window. What's that? What's this? If you just whack on a DVD, I mean, for goodness sake, we all survived not watching the DVD. People go on a plane. They've got headphones and a DVD for their child. No, you don't need that. Get them some colouring pens. Get them some colouring books. They're not going to scream nonstop. You think they're going to scream nonstop. Are you watching what they're eating before they go on a plane? Have you got enough snacks? Have you implemented strategies at home? I'm, I've been probably 
a real stickler for the no computers, nothing at home. My kids watch TV. They do all the computer stuff at school. You don't need it at home. You need them out doing sport and just exercising. That's my view. Someone could ring you up, Sean, or email you and say, oh, that woman, I do it all the time. And that's great. But you know what? When your child hits 12, 13, 14 and starts mouthing back to you, giving you attitude, giving you lip, you've got to look at what you were doing when they were three and four. And you've got to be honest with yourself and say, did I start setting up a pattern of behavior? And I know that there are loads of young dads that have grown up playing the computer games. And that's great. But you know what? A child is, goes really quick. Get them into sport. You know, if you get them into sport, you're going to set good parameters down the track, part of a team, doing things like that. You just, that's what I say, choose your path, choose your consequences. Um, because it is difficult, but now nah, I, I don't agree with this swiping and, and all things like this. But you see, I've got friends that do um, Coles and Woolies online ordering. And I say, why? Why? Go to the shop with your child. That is a great experience. Feed your child before you go. Go up, talk to them. Go down the aisles, talk to them, show them. You're probably going to say, oh my gosh, we use this with Oscar. And that's fine. But I think that, you know, if you read widely, um, the problem with nowadays in 2020 is people want to sit on the fence because they don't want to be criticised. And they say, oh, your mummy shaming, daddy shaming. Not at all. But I'm just saying that you cannot realistically, if you've been using an iPad or a mobile phone or a device with a three and a four-year-old, and then you try and take it off them when they're 11, 12, or 13, good luck. You're not going yeah. to. Yeah. And they're not going to lose out. They are not, I promise you, they are not going to lose out. My son is living proof because what happens is they go to school and they start doing some lessons online or they have some apps and it's something brand new for them and they'll take to it like a duck to water. The same as all of us oldies have got used to all this podcasting and Zooming and stuff like that. You asked us six months ago, we wouldn't have had a clue. You just get, it's not that they're not going to pick it up. They are. But if, if that's what they've done all the way in their youth and they can't do a jigsaw puzzle and they can't build stuff and they haven't got those motor skills, gross motor skills and fine motor skills, you're, you're sort of putting the cart before the horse. You're doing it the wrong way around. So you've got to do those, those, those things that we all grew up with and then the computer stuff. Yeah, being able to, to find ways to try and develop healthy attachments or healthy relationships, yeah. I should say, instead of, because you were right, like, and, and whether it's, I've seen it with Oscar or whether it's, I've seen it out there with friends or just talking to other people through the podcast, there, there is a, there is a, a real danger. I'm just going to say it, there, there is a real danger of that period, especially, especially that zero to seven year old period of them forming uh, an attachment uh, an unhealthy relationship to to that piece of technology whatever it might be and it's it's proven now like that period whatever is taking place taking place around that period is laying the foundations of their subconscious and where do we operate from day to day our subconscious it's 90 percent of, of our day that's just throwing a number out there rounding a number up but 90% of our days are spent in our subconscious. So if that's all we've recorded in that early stage, that's something, like you said, that's going to carry through pretty strongly. It can be rewired, but at the end of the day, it's, it's laying, 
laying a foundation of an attachment to that in times of stress someone loses a job they're going through a stressful time with a uh, a partner or a, a friendship or whatever it might be yeah i'm not sure if you've seen it but we've just recently watched that social dilemma and yes. you know, that that is angled heavily obviously towards what we're talking about and i totally agree with taking everything with a grain of salt there's um there's some pretty uh yeah prominent <laughs> prominent uh, statistics opinions in there from people like you said who have obviously played a big role in, in in what we see now as well that they're obviously getting to a point where they they want to try and, and make a, a difference in in another way now which is is great um but yeah it's it's one of those things it's just going to become even bigger i think moving into the future like there's there's predictions out there that by 2040 so in the next 20 years we're going to experience more technological advancements than we have in the past two centuries so what we're talking about the plane the car all of these modes of transport coming about and we're talking in the next 20 years we're going to surpass that in two decades we're going to surpass what we've seen in two centuries like you're right we we need to be conscious and right now is 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 an opportunity and whatever happens moving into the future i think whether it is them going down that path or not, or a blend or whatever it might be, it's them being able to get to a place of owning it and not handing over that, that responsibility to, oh, this is just how it is. And that's why they're, they're into that. It's at the end of the day, we have an opportunity to, to play, yeah. play that role. And it, it, look, it, it's all about balance. I mean, as I said, my mum remembers when I was a baby, that there were the things about, you know, don't give your child Ribena, don't dip the dummy in honey. Every five years, it's repeated. You know what to do. If you, you know, you don't give your child juice, it, just give them water. My kids have only ever had water. I will say my kids have not had soft drink. They've never had soft drink, right? Um, I'm a stickler for stuff like that. Do I ban sweet foods and treat foods? Of course not. If you ban it completely, It'll lead to a binge eating later on and they'll do it. But you make it part of something. You don't make it an everyday thing. And we're told what to do, but it's very difficult. It's very difficult to stick to, you know, the veggies and the crackers and the cheese rather than just giving them a chocolate biscuit to stop the whinging. But you're there to be a parent. You're not there to be the best friend to your kids. The best friend thing comes in 50 or 60 years down the track. And even then, you're there, to, you're there to parent as well. And I just think that, you know, we, we have a generation of people now that can't go for job interviews because they're too frightened of, of um, making face-to-face -face contact. They can't shake someone's hand. I mean, I know in COVID you can't do that, but I'm just speaking colloquially. Um, they're too nervous. They're worried about someone saying no. They don't know how to speak to somebody. And I think to myself, well, what have your parents actually done for you? Part of your job is to try and raise your children to be fully functioning individuals in society to make a positive contribution, right? Treat others like you want to be treated. That starts from when they're two or three years old. You know, if your kid, if, you're, if, if Oski goes and whacks a kid over the head with a shovel in the sandpit, you just sort of stand there and laugh and go, oh, he's three. Of course you don't. You'd say, Oscar, that's not very nice behaviour towards Harry. 
We don't do stuff like that. And so that's how they're learning. If you don't like, you know, talk to them, and I'm sure Oscar wouldn't do that, but you know, that, that, that's how they learn that goes into their subconscious. And I just think that, you know, for the majority of people in the last 50 or 60 years, it was building blocks, Duplo, Lego, jigsaw puzzles, games, simple things like that. And then you can get into the more advanced stuff later. But I think it's really sad. So all these people with their teenagers locked in their bedrooms, if they're honest, wind the clock back 10 years and they were probably still doing the same thing because mum and dad just wanted to sit down and have a quiet wine and they didn't want to do anything anymore. Parenting is a really hard role at the best of times and you are on call 24-7, you really are. But you've chosen to bring little ones into the world and you get what you get and you don't get upset and you've just got to do the very best that you can. And look, all kids are going to make mistakes. All parents are going to make mistakes. I look back and I wish that I'd done some things differently. But in the main, you know that you're on the right track with things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned mistakes there. I think that comes through providing experiences and choices in the first place instead of being able to, to, to take that... Uh, take that route of this is what I know um, as well. And, and I'll just touch on it, but I, I'm really keen to, to have a bit of a chat about the, the book as well. Um, sure. Because that, that's something that I, I think is, is going to uh, evolve over time in, in terms of the, the reception that's already received. With that being said, just on something that, that came up for me when you were talking there is, is I think without uh, speaking too vastly in terms of the the political landscape or what uh, the world looks like today from a societal point of view, I feel like there, there's such a, a push if you're talking left or right or whatever it might be, but I feel like that the way that it's sort of gone, and you mentioned this generation, that it brings a lot of things with it and that comes through parenting, it comes through the workplace, it comes through, uh, I, I feel like, a lot of different areas. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it could be a moment in time to be able to yeah take stock to reflect on, on where we are at whether it's as a parent or whatever it might be and sort of have a look at, at where we want to go in the future as well and, and how does it look if we keep going down the the path of yeah just i don't know how to put it into words but it, it feels like we're, we're potentially yeah sort of becoming a little bit more yeah a little bit more conscious in in the way of how we how we do things i think as well and, and i think it's going to be important for for a lot of different areas and parenting to me it's why sandy ball parenting's in place it's because it plays the most important role in in the future generations and and like you said we're, we're bringing a young person into the world we're bringing another life another being into the world so that shouldn't be taken lightly by any means and and not saying that mistakes aren't going to be made however being able to learn from those mistakes, being able to, I suppose, provide those experiences and choices might be, a, might be one way to be able to, yeah, uh, allow that, that young person to develop a sense of self, to, to learn about uh, different areas of life instead of, yeah, because I'm part of that generation of, of whether it's being sheltered or whatever it might be over, over a period of time through different, different uh, parenting styles or ways and means and yeah I mean what we see things like anxiety depression all these um, 
all these mental health issues. It's Mental Health Month uh, as we record this. We see them at an all-time high. So, I mean, it says something, something's going on or something has been going on for, for a period of time too. But with that being said, Step Parenting with Purpose. It's, it's your book <laughs> that you brought out this year. We were talking before jumping in to, to record. Well, there it is. <laughs> there it is. That, that is watching that, the video as well. We, we, um, we were talking off air about the, the uh, mini ordeal, the, the mini COVID ordeal that, I mean, everyone's had their own experience. Everyone's got a story about it. Um, but t- tell us a little bit about the, the, the book and, and, and what drove you and what inspired you to, to create this and, and, and how's it all been so far for you? Okay, well, thanks to wonderful people like yourself, Sean. I've had fantastic support from other people on podcasts and step parenting forums and parenting um, webinars and all things like that and, and independent bookshops and dimmocks as well. So I've, as I said, been a step parent for 15 years and I decided to write the book because it may surprise people, but as I said, I was a step parent before I was a parent. I have never met or spoken or had any communication with my husband's ex-wife in 15 years. So I've never met her, never spoken to her, never had any communication. Is she still he, in the children's life? Sorry to interrupt. Is oh, she? yes. Yeah, we, there was 50-50 custody, full child support was paid, you know, alternate holidays and all that stuff. Um, I wanted to have contact. I really wanted to meet her to say, look, what do you expect of me? Because I'm not a mum. I don't want to have a set of house rules at, at our house if it's too difficult for the children that were 11 and 12 at the time to follow, because I think it's important for people to remember that stepchildren, um, they're shuttling between two, two homes, you know, with a suitcase and, you know, you don't want to overload them with things, but, and I even said, you know, in, in a letter in, in another six years time, your son will be 18 and who knows what happens down the track. But sadly I never got a reply and it brought me to two key phrases that I use when I do webinars and seminars. And I say to people, your ex will always be your ex, but will never be your children's ex. And that is huge for everyone to remember. Wow. So it doesn't matter if your husband or wife has run off with their secretary or a business manager. That, they've done that. That's over and done with what's left behind it. And you are quite entitled to have your anger. You don't need to be a saint. You're entitled to have your anger. But what you don't do is you don't bad mouth them in front of your children. You save that for a coffee with the girlfriends or a beer down the pub with the mates. So your ex will always be your ex, but will never be your children's ex. Your ex will always be your children's mum or dad. So you've got to remember that. How true um, was that? Like, just to throw that out there, like, whether it's, uh, yeah, from a personal experience, my mum and dad uh, separated through my teen years. So many friends and family that have gone through this similar situation. And you would have seen this, I'm sure, tenfold through the book as well, just looking into that. How, how common is that? That, that the children are, are made a, let's just say it, a pawn in, in, that, in that tussle, which is really... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sort of what I always, and my other key phrase that I use in, in talks and things is I always say that there's no one right way to step parent in a step parent family, 
but there is always one right way to behave in a step-parent family, and that is with respect towards everyone. That's hard for a lot of people to accept, but that's the truth. You treat people like you want to be treated. Um, all the examples in the book have either happened to me or hand on the heart. I know that they've happened firsthand. And I often say to people, in terms of another woman, um, if your best friend took your child to go and do some cooking for the day and made a whole heap of muffins and things and brought them home, you'd say, oh, that's lovely, that's great. If a stepmom tries to bond with a stepchild by not wanting to overstep your mark of doing something or something they do with an auntie or a grandma and they've found something mutual that they can connect with their stepchild on a level, maybe it is cooking and they make muffins and a cake and the stepmom says, well, you take that home to your mum's place and, and enjoy it for the week. And that child comes home so excited with the, with the muffins and cakes and things and they're starting to eat it. And the woman goes, oh, where did you buy those? Oh, no, I made it with Julie. And the mum suddenly goes, forget that. Want nothing to do with that woman. Throw that in the bin. Suddenly, you're shattering your child's relationship that they have with their step-parent. Um, it's difficult as a step-parent because there are good and bad apples in every cart. There are good and bad step-parents. There are good and, good and bad parents. But in the majority of cases, all a step-parent wants to do is make a positive and have a positive influence on a young person's life. And as you mentioned before, Sean, in 2020, um, children nowadays with all the anxiety and the mental health issues, they can never have too many people that love and care for them and want them to be the best version of themselves that they can be. And if their mum, say they reside with the mum most of the time, is just hell-bent on jealousy that the ex-husband has met somebody else, they're not really thinking of the child's needs. And it is difficult. I can see it from things, but I'm a very objective person as well. And you've got to realise that if your partner has, ex-partner has moved on with someone, that person's going to be in your child's life. You owe it to your stepkids to try and find some good workable ground because if step-parents and parents can't have a good workable relationship, or the chances are those children will end up being step-parents themselves down the track and will just replicate the dysfunction that they have seen. All right? I mean, it is that you, you have to, everyone has to rise above it. You do not have to become best friends with your ex's new partner and vice versa. But being able to knock on a door and say, hey, kids, your mum's here, shouldn't be such a big deal. The mum should not be texting the children from the car and parking halfway down the road from your house. It shouldn't be that big a deal to walk up the path and knock on the door and for someone to say, kids, your mum's here, right? Um, totally, totally. Impressionable, it, impressionable little minds. So, so impressionable. And, and this is the thing, Caroline, and this is where I'm on the same same wavelength i think in, in this way is because it's not even let's say 20 years ahead when they are step parents when they are parents of, of their their own it doesn't take long before a few of those moments occur where it's a bad mouthing of this person or a bad mouthing of this person or a, a a grudge or jealousy or envy it only takes a couple of those moments unfortunately for that young person that child to actually start looking within and thinking well 
well, I, I don't know what's going on here, that the one common thread, the one commonality in this relationship, in, in their feud, is actually me. So maybe, maybe there's something going on with me. And they're not at the ages most of the time to be able to process this in a, yeah, an objective way or whatever it might be. So we all know where that can lead to as well. It's not so much just to do with, yeah, that dynamic. It's, it's the, the well-being of that young person. And like I said, we all know where that can lead to. And, and it's just something that, yeah, being able to put our own egos aside, I, I yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I totally understand that it can be difficult. I've seen that firsthand. Uh, however, yeah, seeing firsthand, we all see firsthand well, what's sort of yeah. taking place now as a result of some of those sort of dynamics and relationships out there. That's right. And so, as I said, I waited 15 years to write the book because I wanted to write a retrospective look rather than a reactive look. And as I said, my stepchildren are now 26 and 25. Yeah. And I've had 15 years of experience in being able to do it. And the book is designed to give a shout out to step parents that are actually on the journey to ones that want to enter into the journey. And this is a really important point, Sean, that what I often say, because I do talks and mentoring as well, I often say to people that, you know, when you meet someone, and this is in the book, it's not just boy meets girl, girl meets boy, or in some cases, boy meets boy, girl meets girl, just being very, um, you know, vanilla here. Um, you have to realise that there are two little children or, or one child or 10 children or however many children there are. The person that you meet was somebody else's Mr. or Miss Right first. And if you're going into the role to be a step parent and you suddenly think, oh, yeah, one month down the track, we'll be able to have a weekend away and we'll be able to do this and that and what have you, you're kidding yourself. Um, you need to be far more selfless and, and objective when you become a step parent because you're not going to be able to do things on the spur of the moment. There will always be school concerts, school activities, sporting activities, birthday parties here, family family commitments on one side and the other side. There'll be weekends to swap. There'll be games that are played where the kids are meant to be with you one weekend and the person won't drop them and they'll muck up a weekend. You, you have to be able to rise above it. It does not mean that as a step parent that you're a doormat and it doesn't mean that you that you play second fiddle, but you need to be mindful that it's not just you and somebody else there are children there and if you're going out with their dad or their mum those children were there first and you've you, you've just got to be aware you've got to see what the dynamics are what were the dynamics of the breakup is it amicable is it not was it amicable this that and what have you also not not meeting um the children too soon i said earlier in our chat to listen to other people's advice I naturally wanted to meet my husband's kids straight away. And I had about three friends say, the longer you wait, the better it's going to be. And I went, what? Oh my goodness. We've got to be open. We've got to be honest. And they said, no, 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 no. What you need is you need your relationship with your, your guy to develop independently to his kids. Cause one day those kids are going to grow up and go away. If you've been so intricately woven, when those kids leave home one day, you're going to look at your guy and say, hang on, what have we got in common? Was it just the kids? They are a part of your life, but they're not going to be your whole life. And I was mortified. But I tell you, I waited a year to meet them. A year. 
So when he saw them every alternate weekend for sporting things, I was also working on weekends, which made it, which made there, but I waited. Now I do point out in my book that if you're sadly widowed or there's been a family tragedy and you need to be honest straight away and this and that, that's great. But what, what these kids don't need is a revolving door of mum and dad's new partners every few months. All right. You, you have to think outside the square as well. Um, if I'd met my husband's kids straight away, they would have thought, oh my goodness, you know, it's a big thing. It's better to just see how you go. It's also better to wait a longer time because step parenting isn't for everybody. And, you know, you might go out with someone for six months and you know what? You might think this is just not for me. I don't want every second week or every alternate weekend or I, don't, I want to do X, Y, Z. This isn't for me. If you have already met those kids and some people just get too cutesy about it, it's not about buying a book or a toy and playing with a kid in a park. That, that's what a nana or an auntie does. That's not what a step parent does. You're there in a role that is a really serious role. You've got to go carefully. You've got to, you've got to hold back. You, you've just got to feel your way as well. If you've gone hell for leather straight away to meet them and then suddenly the relationship doesn't work, and you bow, bow right out, what are those kids going to think? You know, that's where you've got to be adult. And you'll know if you meet the right person. Trust me, I did not think that I would fall in love with a man that was divorced, let alone a man divorced with two kids. He was not on my ticker box list, right? I was single girl, wanted single guys. Can't help who you fall in love with. But I remember a friend saying, how does he speak about his ex? And how does he treat his kids? And I said, why would you say that? And they said, because if you get married and have kids and it doesn't work, you want to know how he will treat those kids and this. And my husband just got A plus on absolutely everything and he's never bad mouthed or anything. Been a fantastic dad, still is a great dad, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it's a very difficult thing. And I, I'm very explicit in my book and I say that you know, in the beginning, you'll feel like the worst thing. You'll think, oh my gosh, I'm not meeting these kids. I want to be part of them, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? You just hold back a little bit. The longer you can wait, the better because you just get more sure and you allow your partner to be able to choose the right time to introduce you and, you know, and to say the appropriate words to his or her children first. Because you might be ready to be a step-parent they may not be ready to receive you as a step parent. So many different factors and, and dynamics that, that I'm learning about already. And, and it's oh. not, even, not even been a long chat. What, one thing I, I am really curious on, and yes. I know we're going to be having, I think, a 2.0 or 3.0 moving into Oh, the I hope so. Is, I'd love to come on again, Sean. I really definitely, would. Definitely. I am curious. So before we, we, we finish, think about finishing this one up, what was the, the dynamic between, between your, your stepchildren and, and your children? And, and what, was, what has that journey been like? What was it like in the beginning? And, and how did it evolve over time as well? Yeah, so it's funny. So look, I, I, I say in my book, also for people to remember that no matter what you may feel about your exes, children and children born of a union, they're always going to be related. You know, I mean, like my stepkids are half their mum and half my husband. My kids are half me and half my husband, right? So I was very, also very lucky because there was a 14-year age gap between our eldest and things. So my stepson was 14, my stepdaughter was 13. Um, and it's funny, there's, there's a 19-year age gap 
between my stepson and our youngest child. So there was never any jealousy. And, you know, we, it's quite funny. I thought, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? I call my stepkids the big kids and I call our kids the little kids. I was never keen on those half brother, half sister terms, et cetera, et cetera. I don't really like that. I know maybe technically they are half, but all siblings all together and things like this, they get on fantastically. They have a great relationship. I mean, admittedly, as I said, we've got 26, 25, 12, 11, and eight. Their proper relationship is going to really happen in the mature ages. I mean, but you know, it's fun at the moment they come and support. I mean, at the moment they're interstate, but you know, they've done all the stuff and they were there, you know, when they were born, etc. But um, I'm very lucky. But I also say to people, and I don't mean this arrogantly, I worked hard at it as well. I ensured that um, there wouldn't be any jealousy. And I've got another little anecdote to tell you very quickly. So when my stepkids would first come over, and I'm sure that you'll get this, and everyone's guilty of it. I used to be guilty of it. People go through towels at a rate of knots. It's like a new towel every shower. And I don't know what your rule is in your house, but I used to think, oh, two or three showers and then change the towel. That's fine. Always had these beautiful, fluffy Sheridan towels all lined up, and my stepkids, and you know, they'd be going through, you know, a dozen on a weekend. And the first couple of weeks, they wouldn't hang them up. And so in the morning when they went to school, I'd then hang them up over the railing and this, and don't forget the floor was spotless, right? And it was really funny. I thought, there's too many towels happening here. So I'd say, you know, you've got to pick up your towel, pick up your towel. Oh, yes, yes. So one morning, they both went out to school and they left the towels on the floor. And I, so I thought, oh no, I'm going to be the mean, wicked stepmom and leave these towels on the floor. But how am I going to get this through to their head that they need to pick up the towels after their showers? I've been doing this for ages. What on earth do they do at their mum's place? So I took the remaining towels out of the linen cupboard and I hid them in the top of our wardrobe. And of course they came home to have their evening shower and they said, where's the towels? I said, I don't know. I said, did you hang them up? No. So we're well, going to have to use them, aren't you? And our floor was spotless, right? It was a beautiful bathroom. Thought, of course, the towels were still damp, so they did it. Well, they never did it again, right? So it was funny. This, now, this is the funny bit. So last year, because, of course, we've now got COVID, so they can't come across my son, same age as when my stepson was. He does similar. I do the same thing. And the funny thing is my stepson said to him, hey, buddy, little bro, he says, little bro, Trust me, I remember your mum did this to myself and my sister. You've got to pick your towel up because there's too many towels going on in this. <laughs> and he looked at me and he laughed. But you know what the best thing was? My stepson said to me, you're doing the same with your kids that you did with my sister and I. And I said, yeah, I am. I said, because I haven't ever distinguished between you're the stepkids and these are my kids. I said, naturally, I'm going to do some different things because they're my biological kids. But I said, the parenting aspect, I said, they still have to set the table like you did with your sister. They still need to clean up the plates. They still need to, you know, put the washing in the washing basket. And he said, yeah, he said, you're doing it exactly the same. And he said, that was a huge thing for him. And I said, well, I was never going to treat my kids any differently from how I tried to help you. I said, because back in those days, I thought if you ever went to someone's house for a sleepover or something, it would reflect on me 
it will reflect on me and all the others as well. So, you know, he laughed and that was a really fun moment. So no, my stepkids and our kids, they get on, they get on great. And I'm really lucky and I'm really blessed. But as I said, I've worked hard as a step parent to try and be fair at all times. But let, let's, you know, call a spade a shovel. Everyone does things differently with their own biological kids than they do with stepkids. Yeah, I just want to yeah take a moment, Carolee, to acknowledge you for, for that moment. I could see it in your face as well, how much that must have meant to you, uh, yeah. hearing that as well. And it's something that I think, um, I mean, that that's epic. He had that realisation of, of how it actually was compared to maybe the perception that, that he had in the back of his mind that it would would be different to, to the way that they were step-parented or parented or, or whatever it might be. We actually, I had Jess, my, my partner, on the podcast in the last episode, and 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 she, uh, yeah, she has two sisters. Technically, that they're, they're half sisters, but we actually we we stopped and and we it was just silent for for a moment during our podcast together because, and then it was just followed by laughter because we never thought about it like that before, and it was a credit to to jess's mum and her stepdad who she, she she's called her her dad her whole life um but it's a credit to like you said the parents play such an important role in in how that's received by by all the kids by by the whole family by extended yeah. family as well i mean that's another element to, to it is. Their, uh, We're going to do another podcast on this, I know. Oh. But I was going to say to you that, yeah, with my stepkids, they always called me, um, my maiden name began with a T. Um, Carolee is with a K. They always called me KT. And I always said, you know, you've got a mum and a dad and I'm here and I'm always here to give you guidance. I'm here if you want to talk to me, but you have a mum and a dad. So I also wasn't a pushy step parent in trying to, overstep any rules or whatever it might be and stuff and what I say to people is that you know there are occasions where if your stepchildren come over and perhaps your husband is out working that weekend and you are with them before that even happens you need to have set down the guidelines to find out who does the disciplining and what is expected etc etc because otherwise that's where resentment and irritation can can come up with the step parent because nothing is very clear. So it may be that, you know, the dad says to the kids, listen, this, this weekend, KT is going to be here more. I expect you to behave properly. Da, 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 da. If not, she's going to say this because I think also what my book points out is you do have to have those difficult conversations, which really shouldn't be difficult because at the end of the day, a step parent, that they don't want to overstep the mark. Sometimes they feel like, they have no other option because they can, it's just glaringly obvious. But if they point something out, it's really important that the other parent doesn't feel that it's a criticism of their parenting. It's, it's just somebody taking a fresh set of eyes on it. I mean, we're all guilty of that. We've all been in a supermarket or something and the kids had a tantrum. We all go, oh, we, and we forget that, you know, our kids have tantrums as well and things like that. It's always easy to point the finger and to forget. But yes, yeah, so my book deals with a lot of those um, topics, ways to do it, good strategies. I actually say that it's the book that I wish that I'd had 15 years ago when I began um, on my step parenting journey. And as I said, it's a very positive, uplifting book as well. I've had, and I can honestly say, my heart, um, I've had fabulous feedback from around the world. 
and um, I'd love it if, if anyone's listening. Um, I'm sure you'll give some details later. It's a very easy to read book, which is how it was written, but it just might give some people some other tips and strategies into how to just get some more harmony into their step parenting. I call it step parent family dynamic, whether it's a blended family, a shared parenting, whatever, it's good for parents too. There are also um, aspects that people read. There, there may be things that you've never really considered, but it's always important to try and be a few steps ahead, not to become a worry wart, but to realise that there will be issues down the track. And if you've just been given a little heads up, then that's important. Those heads up can, can be so valuable in, in so many different ways. I, I totally agree. And, and, and we'll definitely uh, place the details of, of where people can, can buy the book as well. Step Parenting with Purpose. Uh, I'm excited myself uh, to just be able to expand my perspective, even from, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not in that set situation per se, but I still see and I can hear that there's, there's probably so much value in there for anyone. Uh, to, to be able to, to, to gain some insight for as well. And I, I am wary of, of the time and you've yeah, been the time, very generous with, with your time. No, that's okay. Thank you so much. That's it's okay. lovely and I, thank I you do, to all the listeners. I do have one more question before we, we do go there. All right. is I'm always curious uh, to, to ask this. And, and basically, if, if we could travel back in time or if you could travel back in time, with one piece of parenting advice for your pre-parent self, what would it be? <laughs> Talk about putting me on the spot if I could go back. Um, that's really a tricky one to ask. Probably um, not to worry as much and to always remember that 99% of parents have gone through what you've gone through, you will get through it. Sometimes it takes some people a little longer, but at the end of the day, everyone has gone through what you've gone through from giving birth to sleepless nights, to a colicky baby, to realizing that you really didn't have a clue about kids before you actually had one. Um, realizing that, you know, I had a friend that was, um, writing a PhD paper. She's a real action woman. And she said, oh, I'm just going to write it when they're asleep at night. I'll get my PhD done in six months. And you know what? A year later, she said, I haven't even opened the file. She said, it's been like a whirlwind. So I just think, yeah, I would just say to, say to me, um, don't worry so much. And remember that 99% of parents have no doubt gone through what you've gone through and you'll be okay. Be positive be open to receiving advice. Perhaps don't see things that people suggest to you as a criticism. See it as somebody who actually cares about you, cares about your child and really wants the best for you and they're only trying to help. And if they say something that comes out the wrong way, perhaps it's your hormones or something where you've taken it the wrong way. But most people just want to help because a nice thing with humans is we don't want anyone to suffer if we've gone through something. So, yeah, just, just be open to stuff. That's probably a very convoluted way of me, um, me answering your very succinct not, question. But, yeah, and, just, and also just to remember, be kind and be, kind and be humble and um, 
try not to criticize, but as I said, if, if someone um, makes some constructive suggestions for your family or for you, listen, take it on board. You've got every right to dismiss it. Like I go back to what we spoke about earlier about my views on technology and this, that, and what have you. Everyone is entitled to their own view. But you know what? There might be one person listening to this that thinks, you know what? Maybe we are letting our little two-year-old do too much on the swiping and things. Maybe we should just cut it down and do some more blocks and talking and reading with them. It might help. It might also address some behavioural things that the child is going through. No one's a guru on it all, but it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a pretty big person to open their mind to see that they could get some tips and strategies from someone else. As I said with my book, I'm not a know-it-all on step parenting, but I know that everything in this book works. Um, I've had feedback from around the world and I get great joy that I'm just helping families and people in the step parenting dynamic and on the step parenting journey. I think that is beautifully said. I think that's a great note to, to finish on as well. And, and like you said, that there is usually 99% of people that have gone through the same situation in the past. And similar to what you said, it means that there is a lot and a lot of people out there that are there to, to open up to. I think it's, yeah, sometimes just taking that, that first step and, and it can honestly be the difference sometimes between uh, a good day and a bad day it can just That's be right. that, that relating to, to someone else that, that has gone through that. So um, thank you so much, Carolee. Oh. I'm really looking forward to our, our next chat. Thank you for listening. Let us know if anything stood out for you during the chat. As the new pod on the block, it would be awesome if you look out for us and share this episode with someone that you think may be interested. While you're at it, why not head to our socials and share some love with a like, follow or comment. Keep an eye out for the next pod drop. Big thanks to Stilo Media for producing this piece of art we call Sounding Board Parenting. From our hearts to yours, we hope you're making progress on something that you love and makes you feel alive. Remember, this can go anywhere.